Welcome to Long Thread Media Podcast about spinning, stitching, and weaving by hand. The podcast is presented by Long Thread Media, publisher of Spinoff, Handwoven, Piecework, and Little Looms magazines. You can find us at longthreadmedia.com. This episode is sponsored by Trainway Silks. You'll find the largest variety of silk spinning fiber, silk yarn, and silk threads and ribbons at trainwaysilks.com. Choose from a rainbow of hand-dyed colors. Love naturals? Trainway's array of wild silk and silk blends provide choices beyond white. Trainway Silks, where superior quality and customer service are guaranteed. I'm your host, Long Thread Media co-founder Linda Ligon, sitting in today for Ann Marrow. And here's Meg Swanson, an old friend and maven of the knitting world. Hi, Meg. Hi, Linda. <laughs> I, I haven't seen you in person for quite a little while. but Well, I was trying to remember that as well. Uh, I think maybe it was in San Mateo was our last personal meeting in your in your hotel room, yeah, with Alice Starmore and oh yes, remember that? I, I just I it do. just came to me in the night last night. I do, yeah. yeah, that was that was an occasion, yeah, yeah. And before that, that I nice. remember visiting you in Pittsville. I do. I remember sitting on the couch with you and knitting, and you showing me how to oh. do my stranded knitting better which was great. No kidding. Seriously, it was that that Oof. was decades. So, yeah. Decades. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> but here we are today. And here we are. And you know, I'm thinking that there is no way you're the kind of 10-year executive strat strategic planning kind of you know, business person, but here you are 50 or 60 or going on 70 years into you know, running a wonderful company, and it just seems so smooth and intentional. And I, I wonder how it looks from your side. Well, I'm not an advanced planner, so a lot of stuff just happened. Naturally, I grew up with watching Elizabeth Zimmerman knitting and designing and struggling to get Printed Well, not struggling to get printed, but it was suggested to her at one time that she should publish some of her designs. So she did kind of leap right in and sent a few to Woman's Day and got that beautiful two-page spread. And the whole text was her own language. So that was an initial beginning, which was kind of unique, because from then on, the designs she did for various yarn companies and other publications, there was no byline. Really? You know, they would print the, yeah. It, I remember the struggle to get her acknowledged. If you look at some of the old magazines, none of the designers are mentioned next to their that, um, articles. That just for seems, their designs. that seems so wrong. <laughs> it was, it was very wrong, but it was, I don't know. There are similarities going on today, but not not that blatant. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so I do remember all that, but I never had plans to enter into the business specifically. I just kind of did a little knitting, you know, through school. And I did knit sweaters in exchange for paintings with some Milwaukee 
artists when I was still in high school. And then it wasn't really until I went to Iceland. I was going to school in Munich, and we had a three-week vacation, and one of my classmates, an Icelandic girl, Hanna Gunnarsdottir, invited me home for three weeks to Reykjavik, and that's where I stumbled across this unbelievable wheels of unspun Icelandic fiber. Oh. And I've never seen anything like that before. So I immediately bought a whole bunch of wheels and knitted a sweater while I was on that vacation and then sent a bunch of wheels back to my mother uh -huh. along with a contact person from the mill. And the mill at that time was a farmer's cooperative. And uh, so she started importing that wool back in 1960. Two or something oh, like that. I had no idea it went back that far. Yeah, that was the beginning. And until recently, we were the only people in the country who imported that unspun uh, roving right. that you can knit directly from the roving because the fibers are so extraordinarily long right. of that breed of sheep. Anyway, mm -hmm. so that was the first time I ever thought about the business end. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, and I was like an, an airhead teenager. Well, so you were. And I then, didn't think about it too seriously. <laughs> but then things happened and life went on and, and you were soon a wife or at some point a wife and a mother and yep, all over the yep. world. And, and then somehow back in Wisconsin. Back in Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 And my husband was uh, integral to most of the business decisions, yeah. or many of them. The shop in New Hope. Oh, yeah? Um, well, we first lived in Manhattan after we were married, and I was knitting sweaters for friends of his and knitting on commission for other musicians. And then we moved to New Hope, just outside the city, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and uh, I opened a little shop on South Main Street, Really? Yeah, called Knitting Workshop. And so that definitely, uh, my mother referred to me as her branch in the East. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that lasted for a bunch of years. And then we started a family and moved to upstate New York, just north of Ithaca. And um, that was where I sold my first design to Woman's Day. Ah. That's when we were living in Trumansburg, New York. And I don't, I'm not sure. I guess we started visiting Wisconsin for the summers. My mother had bought a second schoolhouse, which is where I am yeah. right now. Yeah. And, you know, no indoor plumbing. There was a hand pump in the front yard and two outhouses, one for girls and one for boys behind <laughs> the school building. <laughs> and uh, we started just coming here for the summers and starting renovations and then returned to New York for the school for the kids. Yeah. And uh, so that's how it progressed. And when we eventually moved here for good, it was very deliberate. And um, it was nice. You know, it was tough to leave. It was kind of an artist community there yeah. in Shermansburg. So it was a tough move, but it, I'm glad we did it. Both Chris and I are from Wisconsin. So oh, I we were raised here. Yeah. So we had family and we wanted our kids to know their their immediate family. Right. 
Yeah. So I'm blathering. <laughs> no, you're not. This is no, this is interesting history. And, 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 you know, I hadn't understood quite the trajectory you had taken, but I mean, you have, you have music background yourself. And, and Chris, of course, was a giant in the field. And, yeah. and I would think being out in the Wisconsin woods would be in a way kind of stimulating. Well, it, it, you know, New York City was over. a good place to start. That could be overstimulating. Where, yeah, well, and that's where he formulated his own group, the New mm -hmm. York Improvisation Ensemble. Mm -hmm. And they met every Tuesday at Lynn Oliver's studio. I remember that. And uh, it was like a rehearsal band. And uh -huh. he did all the arrangements and or original tunes. It was a 13-piece band. And then a documentary movie was made, which was probably kind of the first music video. Hmm. And, and it won an award at the Edinburgh Film Festival and was part of a series. Oh, my God, what was that guy's name? Jack Venza. So it was shown on public television as part of some series. Anyway, but then uh, electronically speaking, he became interested in the synthesizer. Yeah. And we went up to visit Bob Moog in Trumansburg and Moog and Chris hit it off immediately. Yeah. And we kind of didn't leave. We went for the weekend and kind of stayed and rented a house and lived there for a bunch of years. And, and Chris was the composer in residence at the yeah. Moog yeah. factory. Yeah. And then, of course, we could live anywhere when you're talking about electronic music and when you play every chair right. uh, in a big band, mm -hmm. um, we could be in central Wisconsin. Right. And that's what we decided to do. And that's, uh, that, that's early in that model of working. I mean, now people do it all yeah. the time, but it was, that was really yeah. innovative back then. It was unique yeah. to be able to not live on a coast right? Do you, and be a musician. Yeah. You know? do, you, do you think there are relationships between knitting and music? Do you? Do you? Absolutely. We talked about it all the time. I would love to hear it's, more about that. It, yeah. It's, well, has to do with the relationship of small numbers and and math and music and knitting are all entwined, as you would say. <laughs> well, well, knitting is is kind of what would you call it? Binary? Uh, is that the right yeah. term? I mean, it. Yeah. It's knit and purl, and electronic well, music has some of that, but of course, it has so much more. Well, it's the math part. Yeah. They're, they're both mathematical. Yeah. Um, and that was the strongest bond. But, uh, yeah, we were going to – Chris was always intending to score some of those Turkish pattern charts. Oh, you know? wouldn't that yeah. be fabulous. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had many interesting discussions of the similarities between oh. music and knitting. So, and, but meanwhile, after you're back in Wisconsin and, and you have the knitting and – you're teaching? Are you teaching, or was it just Elizabeth teaching then? And publishing was happening. You had your newsletter. You were doing magazine work. You know, if you if you wanted to make a Venn diagram, although who wants to do that? You'd have <laughs> you know knitting, teach, teaching, and publishing, and there's a place in there, you know, maybe where you find your joy. But are those yeah. equal in your mind, or? How does that work for you? Yeah, 
kind of. They they all occurred at different times before they all combined. Because um, I wasn't teaching at all. And Elizabeth was doing workshops. And her first book was published in 1970. 71, I think, Knitting Without Tears, mm-hmm. was published by um, Macmillan. Or no, Scribner's and yeah. Boy, those publishers, they yeah. kept buying each other up and you I know. a scorecard. You exactly. Know? <laughs> and that book was just, it just took over the took over the knitting world in a way. Uh, although that was a time when pattern knitting was, you know, people were chained to their patterns, weren't they? Right, right. Following instructions. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of a breakthrough concept that you could design your own stuff. But even uh, it's now with Simon & Schuster. It went from Scribner's <laughs> to Macmillan to somebody else to but Simon it, & Schuster. But it goes on. But it's never, never been out of print since 1971, yeah. which is unheard of for a how-to book. Yes, they it is. They refer to it as a how-to book. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even Barbara Walker's books all went out of print, you know, those I treasuries. know, I know. Although, that's how we were able to snap them up. <laughs> I know, and that's that's a thing I've been wondering about, because there was a point at which you made the decision to keep the, you know, to get the Barbara Walker pattern books in print, and the Mary Walker, you know, to really sustain those legacy books. Yeah. And that wasn't necessarily yeah. a... Uh, you know, an easy what would business decision, but it seemed no, important. No, probably wasn't smart. Well, the big publishers had already eschewed them, uh-huh. so they they determined that they were not worthy of being reprinted yet again, and that's how Barbara and I worked to get them to get the rights. Barbara got the rights back uh-huh. to all her books, and so that's when we were able to reprint them. Uh, one at a time. I think the first one we repinted was Knitting from the Top. I, I don't know. we even began the treasuries. Yeah, yeah, it was. So, um, no, that was a coup to get Barbara Walker on our team. Indeed it was. And she, she and Elizabeth had a pretty close relationship, didn't they? They did. They met through at the end of the treasury, her first published work of combined motifs, mm-hmm. the treasure, uh, treasury of knitting patterns. There was a little note in the back saying, if you're aware of other patterns that aren't included in this book, please let me know. So Elizabeth had designed her own Aaron pattern that she called Sheepfold, and she submitted it to Barbara. Mm-hmm. And so it appeared in the second treasury, and uh, they became fast friends. Yeah, lots of correspondence, and they met in person a couple times. That's, uh, I I like to imagine those meetings because, you know. (laughs) I wish I I had been there. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were both just, you know, giants in the field and each in their own way. Yeah. 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 So, and, and then after you got, after you started getting Barbara's books back into print, you saw to it that Elizabeth's books stayed in print. Was that just kind well, of happened naturally? I, I had, or? Yeah, we had nothing mm-hmm. to do with it. That was that was totally Scribner's oh. decision to keep Knitting Without Tears in print. But then she wrote a second book, Knitter's Almanac. Right. And it they uh, Scribner's published it, but they decided not to reprint it. It didn't do well hmm. financially. 
Hmm. And so that's when Dover picked it up. Ah. And of course, Dover's thing is totally different. Right. You know, contractually speaking. Mm -hmm. And so Dover, it's been with Dover ever since. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And they they reprinted it. It had been published as a hardcover book with a dust jacket from um, Scribner's. And then they decided to let it go. Elizabeth got the rights back. She and, oh, what was his first name? Mr. Circa, who owned Dover. Did you know him? I didn't, no. No. Anyway, she and he had established a relationship because she kept recommending books to Dover, like Mary Thomas and Gladys Thompson and books that she was importing yeah. from overseas but weren't available in the United States. And he was able to get the ability to reprint them in this country. And, I mean, Mary Thomas and Gladys Thompson, they've never been out of print either. Right. So she and Mr. Circa had a nice relationship. So she told him about her book, Knitter's Almanac, and mm -hmm. he picked it up. And it's never been out of print with them. They even did a 100th birthday edition <laughs> of a hardcover with a dust jacket. Wow. And they re-photographed re all the garments in color. And uh, that just became unavailable about six months ago. Uh, so that, that was a nice little burst. Absolutely. But the little paperback has always been available, that little green paperback. It was yeah. $3.95. Now it's $7.95. Oh, inflation. But it still exists. <laughs> it went up incrementally, mm -hmm. a dollar at a time. <laughs> so while while all this was happening, the, the teaching was becoming more of a part of life. This well, knitting camp. I mean, that started happening, and that was right. It was nineteen seventy four. Yeah, and that yeah. was community, but it was also learning. It was yeah, a lot of people yeah. took quantum leaps in their knitting from knitting camp. Yeah, well, and I was not the teacher. I was I sat to the side. I was I was my mom's assistant. Uh huh. So um, she ran the show when for those first bunch of years. It was at Shell Lake from 1974 until I can't remember when, uh, when the kids started to not want to go to Shell Lake for a, a week, um, we shifted to the University of Wisconsin in Marshfield. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't start really teaching until the 80s. Uh -huh. um, I was co-teaching with her, and then she retired. And um, it was a very strange transition, but I eventually picked up the baton. Strange. And, uh, Is that something you could tell more about? Well, it was, it, it, Elizabeth started losing her memory, and mm. it, she taught through 1988. And then in 1989, we wanted to publish another book of hers, which became Knitting Round, oh, which was yeah. included her autobiographical digressions. Yeah. Then I and I thought, oh, I can't run camp. You know, that's that's my mom's area. But somehow, I'm not sure how I got convinced <laughs> to go back and run it on my own. Well, but it I was did. probably the attendees. I mean, people come again and again. I mean, it's it's yeah. the thing to do. There were two people who've been to camp longer than I have because I did. <laughs> I wasn't there for the very first year, but Lois Young and Jean Krebs were attendees at the very first year in 1974. And 
They've, Lois has never not attended, and Jean attended until she died. Oh my <laughs> so, it, it, I know every single year without fail. And and you it think was, of it's how it's very touching. Yeah, you think of how how that ripples out. You know, just I mean, it, it's scores maybe hundreds of people who have been touched by that experience. I mean, it's really yeah pretty fine. Yeah, yeah, ripples in the pond, and especially in the seventies when women did not leave their husbands and children to go off and do something that they wanted to do. This is true. It was very bold of a woman to get in a car and drive hundreds of miles yeah. um, and and not know anybody and be put in a room with someone else and, you know, yeah. very bold. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's true. But since then, you've done a lot of teaching. You teach at events. You have sidekicks yeah. who teach with you. You have some wonderful <laughs> yes. partners. Yes, Amy Dachin. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> you, you two are a team. I've, I've watched you teach together, and it's a hoot. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you have fun. She is a very funny woman, yes. Yeah. And, and yet yeah, the— No, it has expanded. Yeah. And the quality of instruction is just superb. I mean, you teach picky little things that make a lot of difference in people's work. Knitting minutia. Yes, that's our specialty. I yep. see. The details that make all the difference as far as I'm concerned. This, Technique is— uh, Vital. Yeah. yeah. Well, you taught you taught me that when I was sitting there on the couch with you. I was, <laughs> you know, do, doing my two strands in my own way that I had figured out for myself, and I wasn't getting a very good result. So okay. Yeah. I have no recall of that. I'm glad I had a positive suggestion <laughs> for you. Oh, you did indeed. Yeah. <laughs> but but minutiae. So like what? What are some of the tricks? Well, different ways to do specifics, like um, an increase. If you knit straight into the stitch of the row below, it's not nearly as invisible as if you knit into the back of the stitch of the row below uh -huh. to do an increase. And then you can do a mirror image of it on the other side if you're doing pairs of increasing. Uh -huh. I'm very big on mirror imaging. And no one will ever notice that your increases oppose each other or are mirror images of each other. But it's something that I find very satisfying personally when I'm knitting to do those little details that don't make any difference to anybody else. But I find them satisfying. So did you figure those out yourself? I mean, is that just trying? Yes, some of them. Some of them were my own quote, inventions, to yeah. not use my mother's word. Right, right, right. <laughs> but um, but others, I, I learn something at camp every year. Uh, uh, many, many little details like that have come from other knitters, and I always give them credit whenever possible. Oh, now I can't remember her name. The Yarn House, Shirley Grady, uh -huh. invented a way of increasing where you knit to the front and the back of the stitch, but that always leaves a nasty little horizontal bar across right. the front of the yeah. work. Shirley Grady knitted into the first knitted into the stitch, did not remove it from the needle, pretended she was going to knit into the back, but just put the needle into the back of the stitch and slipped it off. Huh. So you have two stitches from one with no horizontal bar. So that's called Shirley Grady's increase. 
you know. That's it, 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 interesting. I, it, I, I always wanted to keep the originator of the technique associated with it. That is not happening these days, but I still feel that it's important from a continuity standpoint. That it, I mean, it's exciting to know the person who came up with that concept, uh, with that idea. Absolutely. You know, Anyway, that's one of my little soapboxes, mm-hmm. you know, is to do keep names attached to inventions whenever possible. Well, to keep to keep the human, you know, the human element in the work. It's you know, yeah. knitting is not just things; it's no. things coming from human hands. I mean, that's important. Well, it's that uh, that book, that new book from Norway, the Selbu Mittens. Uh huh. Actually, there is a young woman who's associated with having knitted the very first black and white Norwegian mitten. Isn't that amazing that we know her name? She was, she was being a shepherdess for the summer. She was tending a flock of, I don't, I'm not even sure what animals. I think it might have been goats instead yeah. of sheep. But she actually copied, in her mind, copied a weaving technique with her knitting needles. And up until then, there had never been a color-patterned piece of knitting. And wow. she knitted this mitten with a, with a typical weaving motif on it. And Merica, I can't remember her last name, but it's in the book. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's thrilling to know that, you know, we'll never know who turned the first cable, you know. Right. <laughs> but... But we know who knitted the first. Yeah, it must have been so thrilling for them, though, to f- that sense of adventure and yeah. creativity. Wow. Well, and to be acknowledged for yeah. what you had created. Exactly. You know, and to have the whole, the whole knitting country, the whole knitting community in Norway to acknowledge the worth of what you had done. Exactly. And to this day. <laughs> so at what point did you really start promoting a lot of these uh, ethnic books. I mean, Latvia, Armenia, Estonia, Iceland, Scandinavia, well, you know, the Hebrides, on and on. You yeah. have brought the world together. Well, that was influenced by my mother's whole, well, I don't know what the word is, but the whole meaning for her business was to provide American knitters with things they didn't have access to. Yeah, so she started importing wool from Shetland, for instance, okay. back in the 1960s, uh-huh. um, just a few colors. But her whole thing was to provide interesting wool and books to knitters who had no other access to them. And that's how I started treating publishing, when there were books in Europe that I felt were important, like Twisted Stitch Knitting right. from Bavaria. Yeah. There were no books like that in this country, and there weren't even chapters in compendium knitting books that dealt with that technique. Yeah. So when I started importing these little booklets from the Trautenfels Museum in Austria, from the Enns River Valley, I suddenly wanted them translated into English and combined into one book, which fortunately necessitated a trip to Austria to meet with the author and see if I could get her permission. She was very suspicious of me. I was an American, and she was nervous that her concept of knitting would be bastardized by an American. And so it was years before I was able to convince her that I didn't want to change a word from her book 
or a, or, or a stitch from any of her patterns. I wanted to reproduce them as closely as possible to her originals. And she finally acquiesced, and I was able to combine those three books into one and publish a Twisted Stitch Knitting, which is one of my favorite of our publications. I love that book. Yeah, you persisted. Well, so it's, I did, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> she persisted, yes. So one of your favorites because of the because of the adventure of it or because the technique is so incredibly attractive it's or beautiful it's yeah. absolutely beautiful my husband referred to it as as sculptured in wool yeah, that's and that's what it is yeah that's yeah. A, a great it's, way to describe it yeah it's it's very beautiful and i and i thought it deserved a wider audience and that there would be other knitters who would be as intrigued with it as i was well, I'm just curious to know that, you know, other than looking at book sales, did other knitters embrace that? Well, it's not it's not a widely popular, but I think it has a very specific and important place yeah. in knitting. Yeah. And no, it's not a bestseller. And we keep it in print because I think it's valuable. Yeah. Uh, it's probably not a good financial decision, but, you know... Um, but it, I think it's the importance important. of it outweighs that. Yeah, yeah. I understand yeah. that. I understand that very well. The, the newsletter it goes on and on. I mean, how how many issues have there been? Oh my word! It's over. Huh? Um, well, nineteen fifty eight was uh-huh. newsletter number one. Okay, for Elizabeth, uh-huh. and that continued until nineteen sixty eight, and. No, until 1972, I think. Oh, I can't remember dates. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible with dates. But eventually, the single-sheet newsletter became a little 12-page booklet that was called Wool Gathering. Um, my mother felt she needed much more space than one page <laughs> to expound upon her designs and, well, and techniques. Absolutely, yeah. And so it's been going since 1958 and nonstop twice a year. And you're so, you're still driving that pretty much. We're still yep twice a year. Uh, Cully and Michelle are integral to the publication of them. Yeah. Uh, Cully has become an amazing knitting editor. Thank goodness. Oy. Well, aren't, aren't you lucky? Aren't you lucky to yeah. have a to have an offspring that you know continues to be involved? I think that's great. Well, he's a he's a math guy. He's a uh, physics. Uh-huh. That's what his degree is, is in physics. And Elizabeth's approach to knitting just intrigued him no end. Yeah. And he actually has written an entire book called The Complete Surprise based on the baby surprise jacket, which is one of Elizabeth's most popular designs. And he has extrapolated it into all kinds of other uh, concepts. And... Um, it's. I, I think she'll be very pleased. Oh, I'm. I hope she's flapping around up there, very pleased. With, <laughs> I'm sure because he used to he used to sit in the back of the car when they when we'd be on road trips and he'd be learning how to knit from his grandma. Uh huh. That's sitting I, in the back seat. Yeah. There's <laughs> a there's a an image that came up in a in a story you did for Piecework Magazine recently about your mother embracing you from behind and guiding your hands right. to teach you to knit. And I thought, that is 
beautiful. I mean, that just yeah. embodies so much. It's It becomes so much more than just a thing to do. It becomes a I, I don't know. I'm I'm losing language for it. I but I love yeah. thinking of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Slip over under off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from and and with that embrace to it, I mean, it just makes it very yeah special. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah, I think yeah the the education issue of Peacework magazine. I think yeah. that's the the article and. Um, it's still probably the best way to learn to knit if it's at all possible for you to knit from someone you love. Uh-huh. No, I, 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 and I haven't, I personally haven't experienced that and I haven't even seen it. And I thought, well, heavens, yes, that's how you do it. Yeah. yeah. So Elizabeth was a huge champion of garter stitch, which I much appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she did astonishing things with it you know, all kinds of new and unexpected things. And yes. you seem to be very powerfully attracted to color stranding. Is, yes. Would you say that, is that your favorite way? Yeah, to, favorite? Is, that's my favorite. Yep. Shetland wool all over color patterns. Yeah. Very oh. satisfying. The The rhythmic uh, aspect of it is so soothing. And, and you learn the song of the round that you're knitting on. What? Because there's, well, there's the music relationship. Three and one and two and four. Three and one and two and four. Three oh. and one and two and four. And you can't do that with socks. They're too small. Right. <laughs> when, True. But when you have three 300 <laughs> stitches on a needle and you're doing the body of a sweater, you immediately learn the rhythm of that round and you never have to look at the chart. Oh, I love that. Under the spell of that rhythm. And then the next round, you move your magnetic row finder up one row, Mm -hmm. and you learn the tune of the next row. And if you're doing oxos or something Mm -hmm. similar, Mm -hmm. maybe 30 rows later, you'll come back to one of those songs from the early part of the sweater. And, oh, yes, that's familiar, and you fall right back into that song. So they have a, they have a melody to them? I mean, do you sing them well, in your head? Well, it's so funny because Joyce, uh, <laughs> Joyce Williams turned every rhythm into skater's waltz. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Bless her heart. <laughs> an extraordinary knitter and an amazing designer. She was really something. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily have a tune, but I do have the rhythm of yeah, it. Yeah. So, what's your favorite thing you ever knitted? Do you do you have a piece that you just would clutch to yourself if you were fleeing a burning building? Well, well there are there are patterns that I I shared this with my mother also that as you start nearing the end, you start knitting more slowly because you don't want it to end. Oh, so I do have patterns like that that were so satisfying to knit that I didn't ever want them to end. <laughs> so I don't know if I have an absolute favorite, but most of them are color pattern. Well, that's designs. yeah. I I'm having a I'm trying to relate to that because I'm a a hasty person, and um, yeah, often I I don't knit enough rows because I want I want to get done. So I like your well, approach better. It's a it's a yeah, but that doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes I'm eager to get done, and I am a fast knitter. Yeah. But there are certain, and even like lace, 
like the pie shawl, where yeah. you end up with, you know, 380 stitches or something. Uh-huh. You know the end is coming, and somehow you'd want it to keep going, you know. So yeah. there are certain things that I might start slowing down a little bit just to prolong the ending. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, lace, lace, I, I stay away from lace. It, and it has to do with n- not really understanding how to fix an error. So. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> well, it's usually a missed yarn over. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you could always cheat and pick up that running thread and well, make a yarn over. one could, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the schoolhouse, the red schoolhouse, is it just, it's a place in people's hearts and minds. Don't you think that people who have read the books and known Elizabeth and known you and knitted the patterns and knitted the techniques. Yeah. I mean, it's the Red Schoolhouse is, you know, it's a place in your heart. What do you think it'll be, you know, 15, 20 years from now? Boy, good question. Oh, I've, I, it's I'm, actually I'm, a rotten question. But, but you, Well, yeah, because but I have an no answer. I'm, yeah. I'm not good at foretelling and You know, trying to second guess what's going to happen in the knitting world. You know, none of us are very good at that. You're pretty good at that. The books that you've published have been vitally important all along the way. I remember that whole series you did. They were all the same size. You had Cheryl Oberly and, you know, um, Beth Brown Rensel and Wendy Keel. Yeah. And, you know, those were very important Books. So you're much better at fortune telling with what knitters are going to want than I am. So I have no idea what the future holds. I'm, we'll just keep plugging away. Well, you mentioned those particular knitters. And then I think of knitters that you have identified and brought forward and championed. And there have been some really important introductions, I think. Yeah. Well, I, I like to think that I steered several of your knitters to you. I think um, you did. And and I, I recently um, we do get requests from well-known knitters wanting us to publish their books, but we're quite small, and mm-hmm. we usually can't undertake some of those projects. We just don't have a big enough staff, for yeah. instance. Yeah. So I am I am always willing to try to find a publisher for them. Like Vivian Hawksborough going to yeah. Trafalgar, I was instrumental yeah. in that, and I think I sent Wendy Keel to you with her Bohus idea. You did, yeah, yeah. And that was and a even pleasure. Beth Beth Skernsey book, yeah, yeah. That was that was nice. So it would be lovely to be able to publish everything we wanted. It is, we, yeah, and I I miss. I mean, now that Long Thread Media is you know sort of back in the world of publishing, and we're doing magazines, but we're not doing books. And I have to say, I miss that because there's something so satisfying about a yeah. book, you know. Well, might you mm-hmm. get back into that? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay, it, it's, same it, as my answer. <laughs> exactly. It's, you know, it's a tough business, book publishing. If, you're, yeah. if it's a business that's trying to support people, I mean, it's, yeah. it's tough. Uh, and, and books are big and heavy and they pile up and then you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and it's so much easier to be electronic and to yeah. do a Kindle version. Exactly. And not have to not need warehouse space. Yeah, but but who <laughs> who wants to knit from a Kindle version? Not me. No, 
Yeah. No, not me. No. Yeah. <laughs> we're old. <laughs> I guess we, well, we are. And uh, it, it's worth mentioning that we're exactly the same degree of old. <laughs> exactly. Do you have another person, same birthday and same birth year? I do not. No, I don't either. No. I, I, others on the same birthday, but oh, yeah. not the same year and date. Yeah, so. toward the end of um, Interweave, I had an executive team, and we were all Virgos, all within like four oh. or five days of each other. Which <laughs> oh, <laughs> what a team! <laughs> well, it, it, we had a lot of fun. I don't, you know that, you know, I don't believe in that stuff, but it worked. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Yeah. Hmm. What are you going to do today after we're done with our little session here? Um, well, I am working on the next wool gathering, the next issue of wool gathering. I'm trying to write pattern out. It's going to be a design of Kali's mm -hmm. and um, a very interesting yoke design, not a color pattern, mm -hmm. but a texture pattern. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm trying to write out instructions, which he will then edit and find mm -hmm. all the mistakes that I've made mm -hmm. mathematically. <laughs> and uh, let's see what else is going on. Well, we are working on a, a do-over, another do-over of one of Elizabeth's books. We're in the throes of that right now. Uh, Knitting Around is going to be updated. Oh, good. Uh, to, good. to as much full color as possible. A lot of the photographs are from the 30s when uh -huh. she and her my father recording. And so all that will be intact, but we're adding lots of new photographs and we're doing maybe sideline editor's notes with updates um, of techniques, just like we did with Knitting Workshop. That has now become a, a, an enlarged and updated full color book. It was a little black and white. It was mm -hmm. our book number one. Yeah. And uh, now it's got a new life. And that has proven to be very successful and and valued by knitters. So we're going to do it again with Knitting Around. And we hope to have that available by the end of the summer, middle of the summer, yeah. maybe. That will be that will be, really be something to look forward to. Yes. We're having mm -hmm. I'm in a way it keeps us connected to Elizabeth and yeah. you know, she's still here. Yeah. And she's still a vital part of the business and it's it's really nice to be able to work on those books. So Cully has he, he's really picked up a lot of interest in this subject, and he's brought a lot of new thinking to it. I'm I'm really intrigued by the idea of his, you know, math explorations and and even you know even physics. I think about how twined knitting, for instance. You know, you build up all this tension in the yarn, you know, all this force in the yarn yes. and so forth. Yes, uh, and are, are are any of your other offspring interested in the in, in the business in that way? Well, uh, not the business end. Mm -hmm. uh, our our daughter Liesel is a, an interpreter by trade. Mm -hmm. She's her totally fluent Spanish, and um, is uh, really very very good at what she does. She mm -hmm. knits, mm -hmm. and she has taught her daughters to knit, but they're not interested in the business. End. Yeah. Yeah, but um, but Cully has uh, is really the backbone of Schoolhouse Press now. He and his wife Michelle, I get to sit back a little bit and uh, and turn a lot of stuff over to them. They're both really 
amazing. Lucky for you. Totally. I mean, lucky well, for all in, of us. It, it, well, he invented, are you aware of the calculator that he invented? No. Tell about uh, that. It, it took him a number of years, actually. But people were having trouble with the adult surprise jacket, which is the grown-up yeah. version of the baby. And there have been issues with it. People were finding the upper arms were too skinny and, mm -hmm. and how to lengthen the sleeves and a whole bunch of things like that. So he invented a calculator where you put in a bunch of numbers. There's a little form you fill out, and you have to know your exact gauge, of course. Yeah. And then you put in measurements that you want for the depth of the neck and the circumference of the body. And he's even been able to separate the upper arm depth from the rest of it, even though it's one organic yeah. piece of knitting. He has enabled you to adjust the armhole depth at the upper arm to be whatever you want. So you fill in all these numbers and you push a button <laughs> in about two minutes you get about five pages of line-by-line, stitch-by-stitch instructions for any size at any gauge. It's just magic. That's Absolute astonishing. Magic. Well, he's, so he's a astonishing. He's a topographer. I mean, that must be one of his math specialties. I mean, that's... That's, that's a good... Yes, topography. Yeah. Yes, that's a good word to assign to him. Well, yeah. you know, a lot of people have spoken of Elizabeth's work as being so sculptural, which it is, and, and her yes. whole, uh, you know, percentage system fed into that very nicely. And yes, it sounds like he's totally. just taking it to new levels. That's great. Yes, it really is. It really is amazing. And you can, of course, use it over and over a hundred times for different sizes, different weights of wool, different yeah, yeah. gauges, different everything. It's... Uh, it works like a charm. So, yeah, he's he's really expanded the business in in very exciting ways. Yeah. Well, you know, the the whole idea of working everything from the gauge is what first really grabbed me because of, you know, being a spinner and mm -hmm. publishing a spinning magazine and you know, sp spinners have everyone has their own gauge because well, and especially your hand-spun wool does not take dictation from you. No. It tells you what gauge it wants to be knitted at. Exactly. Know? And so that that, that was especially when we first started to come up yeah. with uh, the percentage system. It was very important for hand spinners to yes. be able to work with whatever gauge they get, not to have to knit at a specified gauge. Exactly. I mean, so, it's it's. So Fundamental. And in fact, I you probably remember this, but Elizabeth came to the spinoff autumn retreat one year. She did with, with my father. Yes. And <laughs> uh -huh. when I was making the decision to invite her, people said, well, well, but she's not a spinner. You know, you can't do that. She's not a spinner. <laughs> oh, well, yes, you got, you got a lot of flack, I think. <laughs> but what happened was she came and all the participants only wanted to go to her sessions. They, <laughs> they, oh. it was, it was, oh. it was kind of interesting because her, her uh, room would be 
packed. And she was telling stories and delivering wisdom, <laughs> and it was fabulous. And and oh. everybody else just sat and watched, you know, because... <laughs> oh, that's great to hear, because I do remember the controversy. Yeah. There were some spinners who were actually annoyed that you had invited a knitter oh, yeah. to, come to, the, to come to the retreat. So yeah. that's a nice... That's a nice resolution. <laughs> uh, it was a, it was wonderful. It was yeah. She was she was a star, and she was so generous and so engaging. Yeah, it was it was yeah. it was yeah. great. Oh, that's nice. Thank you for <laughs> telling me that. Yeah, I I really enjoy your Facebook postings. Oh, just you know, <laughs> a little you. personal odds and ends because yeah, the things that grab your attention and that you share are you know always right on for me except we don't oh. we don't have uh you know we don't have the woodpeckers that you do <laughs> oh the the what <laughs> the woodpeckers <laughs> oh the wood oh god the pileated yeah you're lucky you. st- they i i have a total of three now two Two females and no, two males and one female. I finally learned how to identify them from right. each other, and I've never seen all three at once, but I have seen two at once. Well, that's a so, treat. Yeah, it's very exciting. That's a yeah, treat. Yeah, that's still awesome. Every time I'm looking out the window at them right now, I've got a whole slew of finches and purple finches and winter finches and lots of woodpeckers, hairies and downies. Oh. And red-bellied. <laughs> oh, I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there you are in, in, in the Red Schoolhouse with nature yep, all around you and knitting <laughs> just coming out the windows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, this has been very nice. I'm glad you pegged me for this. I'm, I enjoy talking I to you. We have so many similarities. and We do. So much in yeah. common. Yeah, no, it's it's been a real treat, Meg. I'm, I hope we can, you know, stay in touch without being all wired up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah. So we will. Um, and I okay. think we can say goodbye and say thank you yeah. very much for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. Totally my pleasure. Thanks to Trinway Silks for sponsoring this episode. Thank you for listening to the Long Thread Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate the show and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again. <laughs>